G'day friends, welcome back. Well, very, very disappointing day yesterday for Melbourne fans, obviously. Um, not an expected result for them at all, that's for sure. They were the best team all year, so losing yesterday was definitely a surprise for everybody. Um, I mean... Penrith just completely took them by surprise, um, just took the game away from them and, and you know, played better on the day. And that's what you have to do in a NRL prelim final. Um, no, nah, all jokes aside, very, very big congratulations to the Melbourne Demons. Not talking about the Melbourne Storm today. Um, yes, the D's break their 57-year drought, just in case you hadn't heard that number so far over the weekend. 74-point um, thrashing of the Bulldogs. I'm going to get to everything, all the main aspects of yesterday's grand final, um, the, the roller coaster ride that it was, Um i got to say, I did not at all expect a result like this. A big-ish result wouldn't have been an enormous surprise. Um, you know, we're talking five goals or so, five, six, seven goals. Wouldn't have been totally shocked. Um, but to have a 90-point turnaround in the second half um, was a little bit shocking, a little bit alarming. Um you know, everyone was talking about how Melbourne only had the one game in 28 days, but what no one talked about was the fact that they actually had three games in 30 days, if you're including the grand final. So their, their match fitness was a lot better than I think people realised, and I think it was a lot better than the dogs realised. So yes, I'm, I'm going to go through how the game played out. I'm going to go through some of the best players, some of the players that didn't perform too well. I'm not going to go through every single player, but I'll go through the key ones, the ones that, you know, stood out to me. Um, and, yeah, I'll, I'll try to capture the enormity of what took place yesterday. All right, let's get into it. <laughs> Before I talk about the game, I'll talk about uh, Optus Stadium and how how brilliant Western Australia was as a whole. Um, I mean, McGowan's a little turd. No one really likes him, but but Optus Stadium was awesome. It was a really, really good venue. Um, expect it to be the feature of more key matches in the future. I'm not talking, you know, grand finals because... Barring further pandemic hijinks, the grand final will be the MCG for the next 30 years or however long it's booked for. Um, but there will be more matches of note 
not just not just derbies. There's gonna derbies, whatever the fuck. There's, they're gonna book other matches, other events at Optus Stadium because it, it was it was an excellent venue. Um, the, all the fireworks and the lights and the entertainment was excellent. This is one of the best pre-grand final entertainment shows that we've had in a good while. Um, you know, um, Birds of Tokyo did the halftime show and they were great. Before the game, you had Eskimo Joe and the John Butler solo and a few others who were all excellent, you know. Um, yeah, it, it was really, really high-quality pre-match entertainment. And, and, you know, the way the ground looked in the first half of the sun setting on it and then going into the evening, it, it was really, really, really well done. Couldn't have gone better. Could not have gone better. Um, that being said, I think we're all looking forward to it being back at the MCG next year, just saying, okay. And then we got into the, the, the opening bounce. We got into this game that was absolute insanity. This game, I don't even know where to begin. So I'm just going to begin at the beginning. So the, the opening bounce, the, the opening few minutes of a grand final are usually chaos. And this was no different. The ball was bounced. Martin into Gorn, no one really got a good hit out. Um, you, you had Viney lay a brutal tackle, and then two seconds later, Liberatore laid a brutal tackle. The two inside bulls laying big tackles really early on was, was the perfect start. Perfect start. Um, I said in the lead-up to the game that it was going to be 10 minutes before we saw a goal. I was half right. It took five minutes for there to be a goal. Um, so I was a bit off there, but it, it was it was a very intense and a very tough first five minutes. So I'll take that. Um, and of course, it was Petrarca who broke the, broke the drought. Um, not only the goal drought of the start of the game, but Melbourne's premiership drought. So he kicks that amazing snap goal from 50 metres out and, you know, the commentator said it was dusty-like, and it's now a big, big cliche, but it's pretty accurate. The game he played was spectacular. One of the most clear and obvious winners of a Norm Smith medal that we've had recently. So last year, Dusty won it fair and square, but the other two times he won it, there was, you know, should Basha Hooley have won one or two of them? Don't know. Um... Luke Shuey in 2018 was a pretty clear winner. There was a few other players who were quite good. Um, 2016 was debatable. Johannesson, Boyd, um, there, there were a couple of others, but gee, Petrarca won this convincingly. Um, didn't matter how good Bontempelli was, Petrarca was always going to win because Melbourne won by so much. Um Let's just talk about his game. Let's so he's so when the game finished, we thought he had set the record for the most disposals in a grand final, but that was rectified unfortunately. So he's left tied on the most disposals in a grand final with thirty nine. So thirty nine touches, two goals, one, four tackles, twenty four contested possessions. So twenty four of his thirty nine disposals were contested, which is extremely impressive. Um, you look at his heat map, it's really interesting. 
enormous amount of possessions around the center around the center circle center square center circle whatever so he was he attended a lot of center bounces and we saw in the second half what he was doing out of those center bounces it was a bit terrifying to tell you the truth um 15 score involvements like he he, he wasn't even you know he played basically 50 50 forward half and back half but he still had 15 score involvements and then probably the most startling statistic of all, 896 metres gained. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of metres gained. Um, when you're getting towards a kilometre in metres gained, you've had a very, very good day. Um, so yeah, that, that was that's one of the best games I've ever seen, period. Um, it, it's, it might be the best grand final performance we've ever seen period. Dusty's last year is a very good contender, but, and, and they're very similar in the way that Dusty turned that game for Richmond, Petrarca turned this game for Melbourne. He, he was so instrumental late in that third quarter and then into the fourth quarter, completely took the game by the balls and went, I'm going to win us this premiership. And he did. I could not believe what I was watching. I don't think anyone could believe what we were watching. It, it not only did it win them the game, it the way it carried into the last quarter, the way the entire team carried their form into the last quarter and completely blew the Bulldogs off the face of the earth is so impressive. I can't even find the words to describe it. It was absolutely remarkable. On the flip side, um, Bontempelli played one one of his best games of the year and one of his best games of his career. He, he did every, everything he possibly could have. He kicked the three goals, including two goals in the second quarter as, as they mounted their comeback. 25 touches, 13 contested possessions, you know, the six tackles. He was excellent as well, almost 500 metres gained. If the dogs had gone on and won, he would have, you know, when he kicked his third goal halfway through the third quarter and it put the dogs 19 points up, they had just pulled off a 40-point turnaround. They were 21 points down, and then this goal put them 19 points up. When he kicked that goal at that moment... He had one hand on the cup and he had the Norm Smith medal around his neck. What happened in the next 45 minutes is is absolutely insanity. If you said at that moment, as he kicked that goal, after it went through, if someone came and said to you, oh, you know, Mel- Melbourne are going to kick 16 of the next 17 goals and win by <laughs> and win by 74 points, and Petrarca's going to win the norms. Like, you wouldn't have believed it. it it's, it's it's one of the most shocking turn of events I've seen in any game, period. It is going to be blowing my mind for some days to come, I would imagine. And I rewatched the game this evening, and it's, it's quite amazing how it all played out. I'll talk about a few more of the key players that I want to mention for each team. So 
Melbourne. Obviously, you had Bailey Fritch kick his half dozen goals. That doesn't happen very often for people who are not very familiar with AFL and with how grand finals work. You don't often see big bags of goals. Six goals in a grand... If, if Petrarca hadn't played the way he played, Fritch would have won the Norm Smith. Six goals is amazing. It's an amazing haul. And he's still, he's still a young fellow. So, you know, really, really impressive from him. Um, I, th- I thought Oliver as well. I did tip Oliver to win the Norm Smith. He was not even close to Petrarca, but he was... He played pretty much on par with how he normally plays. 33 touches and a goal, 10 tackles. He was pretty good. He, that's a very, very good game. Let's not let's not joke around. That's a really good game. But when you're comparing it to what Petrarca did, it's a very mediocre game. <laughs> let's be real. Um, so, yeah, he was great. I thought Ben Brown was fantastic. I thought he was absolutely superb. He kicked the three goals. kicked three goals, too. So he's had five shots on goal. Um, he was really, really good early in the first quarter when Melbourne were very much in control. But throughout the rest of the game, I thought he was excellent. He got up the ground so much. He was impacting play in the middle of the ground. He was flying for marks. He had a really, really good key forwards game. It's, it's not He's not going to get the plaudits that Fritch is going to get and that Petrarca is going to get. But God, he was good. He, he only cemented himself in their best team, I don't know, 10 weeks ago, probably less, eight weeks ago. It was with only a month or six weeks to go, excuse me, six weeks to go in the season that he re- that it was really clear that Wiedemann wasn't getting back into the team. He, he was so good, Brown. Um, on the flip side, you had Cozzy Pickett, who was really quiet. Um, he... he didn't bother the scorers. Um, I'll see if I can find out how many touches he had. He, he, he had that really good pressure act in the first quarter um, where, he, where he chased down, I think it was Bailey Williams. He didn't get to him, but he, he made Bailey Williams panic. It's like, Jesus Christ, because he pickets, he's, he's so quick. He knew he was coming, and he completely freaked out. Um, yeah, just the, just the four, to, he's laid three tackles, which is all right, but yeah, just the four disposal. So, Really, really quiet game from Cozzy Pickett, but not everyone's going to have a huge day on Grand Final Day. It happens, um, but yeah, just a cu- couple of little things he did were were worth mention. Um, you had Christian Salem, who sort of faded away uh, as the game went on, but in the first quarter, he was completely out of control. He was completely out of control. Like, the whole Melbourne team was basically out of control, but Christian Salem was enormous. Like, Salem hasn't been that dangerous since the witch trials. He was so good in the first quarter. So, yeah, I wanted to mention his name and and Angus Brayshaw. Cast your mind back to 2018, right? Melbourne come out of nowhere, make a prelim final, get bowled out, right? The next week, Angus Brayshaw, who's still very young in his career, Right? He finishes third in the Brownlow medal. And since then, he hasn't you know, repeated that form. He's been very consistent, but he hasn't repeated that form. Christ, he was good yesterday. Again, he's not going to get the, the praise that Petrarca and Fritsch are going to get, or Oliver. But he was, especially in the second and third quarter early, when the dogs were all over them, he was so composed. 
He was so composed, made perfect decisions with everything he did. I'll try, try and get his stats up. Uh, where are we? So he kicked that goal in the third quarter, obviously took that great mark back with the flight. Uh, five marks, 25 disposals. Um, what have we got? 400 meters gained is great. It, 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 was, it was a very, very mature performance. He didn't have to have, you know, colossal numbers and do all the spectacular things, but he just did everything really, really well, which is all you can ask. And to play, like, he's had to change the sort of player he is because, you know, with, with Petrarca in the last two years moving from the forward line into being a permanent midfielder and Oliver also in the last two years becoming one of the best mids in the competition, Viney still being in there, he's had to, he hasn't been able to play on the ball, Brayshaw, very much at all. He's had to move out onto the wing, which is not at all where he, you know, has been situated for most of his career. And he's taken it in his stride and he's been so good. God, he was, he played his role perfectly, as they say. Um, and then just a few Bulldogs players I'll touch on. The two rucks, so Martin and English, I actually thought they were both really, really good until Melbourne just turned into an absolute monster in the third quarter. I thought they were dealing with Gorn really well. I think that Jackson wasn't doing too much damage for the first two and a half quarters. I thought I thought the two of them both played really well. English was really good in the air. Martin was physical. They were getting around the ground well. Gorn didn't have much impact on this game at all. He was very he was good. He was perfectly fine. Obviously, he was he was never ever ever going to repeat what he did last week. The game last week was a one in a thousand game for a ruckman. That's never happening again. Um, but yeah, I thought the two of them, um, Martin and English, were very, very good at limiting Gorn's impact on the game. Um, but then obviously, Jackson went into the ruck for the entire second half of the third quarter, and they had absolutely no idea what to do. <laughs> it was, they had no idea what was going on. It was absurd. Um, but yeah, before that, I thought the two of them were really good. Trelaw tried his bloody damnedest. Oh, he was so good, Trelaw. He's kicked three goals of his own. I think he had 27 touches. He kicked the first two goals of that second quarter and completely turned the game back in the Bulldogs' favour. His, his running is as elite as it gets. He, get, he covers the ground so well. Yeah, it, it'll be really devastating for him to lose another grand final. Obviously, he lost as a Collingwood player in 2018. Um but I really hope he knows that he can hold his head high because him and Bontempelli, three goals apiece out of the midfield, were excellent. The two of them were excellent. Um, I can't remember what Trelaw's game was like in 2018, but I know Bontempelli was relatively quiet in 2016. Um, I think it was his first, I believe, it was his first or second best and fairest year, but on the day in 2016, he was pretty quiet. Um, so yeah, he, he turned it around this year and, and Trelaw as well was just so good, did everything he possibly could have to help the dogs win this game. Um, Cody Waitman, very, very similar to Cozzy Pickett as the other small forward, really quiet, really quiet. Um, he, he attacked the ball really well, Waitman, as he always does, but he just couldn't 
quite get it. He went for that insane mark in the first quarter where he got decapitated by the goalpost. Um, but yeah, he, he just didn't have hardly any impact at all. So he's had one mark, just the seven disposals, two tackles, and obviously didn't trouble the scorer. So yeah, a, a really, really quiet game from him, given how he played in the re- the other finals games. That's a really disappointing performance from him. But, you know, same with Cozy Pickett, both very young, very, very young. So they have plenty of time to, you know, improve their big game prowess, as you would say. Um, I thought Aaron Norton was also really, really excellent. Him and Ben Brown both played brilliant key forward games. Norton does so much more than kick goals, so much more. Obviously, he kicks plenty of goals, which is great. That's what you want out of your big man up forward. Um, But the way he covers the ground, the way he flies in to a pack from the side, it's so hard to defend. He also does all the little things like blocking for his teammates. Like one of the marks that Bontempelli took in the second quarter to kick a goal, um, he was able to take it because Norton came across from the side and just ran straight through the middle of everybody. He ran behind Bontempelli, so Bontempelli was able to continue to run and mark the ball, but he stopped everybody who was behind Bontempelli. So I, I don't know who was... Well, I think... I know for I remember watching it. Viney was the one manning Bontempelli. Viney was never going to be able to stop Bontempelli. But Norton running across completely cut off Petty and May and Lever and whoever else was there from being able to get a fist to the ball. So that's a really important act from a key forward. I thought I thought Norton was fantastic. And Caleb Daniel, if you know, if the dogs had won, it would have been a pretty close call on Norm Smith between Daniel and Bontempelli. He was enormous in the first... I think he had 26 touches in the first half. And then he just had the 10 in the second half. Because, um, you know, because they got smashed in the second half. But at, at half time, you know, even though Bontempelli had the two goals, Trelaw had the two goals, um, I thought Daniel was the best player on the ground. He was taking all the kick-ins, which in that first quarter was a tough task. Melbourne were making it really, really hard for them to get the ball out of their defensive half, and it was his job to get it going a lot of the time. So he was really, really excellent. Um, But I'll get to something that he did that kind of fucked it up for them in just a second. So let's talk about how the game sort of um, played out. So Melbourne were hot in the first quarter. The, The Dogs didn't have an answer for the amount of pressure that Melbourne were putting on them. They had control in the middle. They weren't letting the Bulldogs get it out of their defensive half. They were really, really good, Melbourne. They would have liked to have been further in front, honestly. Um, but a 21-point lead at quarter time in a grand final is not too bad. They kept the Dogs just to one goal, um, which came from a defender in Rourke Smith. Um, but yeah, they, they were hot. But then the bull. I don't know what Beveridge said at quarter time. I'd love to know because the dogs came out and they had rallied. And it was Trelaw who got them on the board early and then kicked another goal a couple of minutes later. And suddenly they were up and about. They kicked another couple of goals. They were absolutely flying. And in the second and first half of the third quarter, they were able to get back out to a, not back out, but get out to a 19-point lead. 
which was so impressive given how they started the game. Um, that there was a great moment where Johannesson took that huge specky. I think it was in the third quarter. It got me out of my chair. I was screaming. I was like, Jesus Christ, this game is so on. I just yelled. I went, oh! I just yelled at the, at the top, top of my voice. Um... Because the game was red hot, red hot then. Melbourne had been so hot early, the dogs had come back and they were now a goal or two in front. I was like, it is fucking on here. And then it just wasn't. It wasn't from that point on. Um, so yeah, Johannesson takes that mark, kicks a goal in the third quarter. And then I think there's only... then I think then after that, it was the Bontempelli goal, um, which was halfway through the third quarter. Little did we know that that was the dog's second last goal for the game. So Bontempelli kicks that goal. And then with nine minutes and 44 seconds to go, there's a little contest between Caleb Daniel and Max Gorn on the wing. So the ball is spilling towards the boundary line. Gorn gets it. Caleb Daniel tackles him. And it looks like he slings him to the ground onto that hard sort of astroturfy stuff that isn't like astroturf. It's more like green concrete um, around the outside of the boundary line. It looks like Daniel slings him, but Gorn sort of half flops. It's a really, it's a, it's a strange thing to judge. But anyway, it results in Gorn hitting his head. And you can see like for the rest of the night, he's got this big cut or scrape in his forehead um, and little do we know at that moment, that's the turning point right then. Daniel just being a little bit, and it's so funny because he's the littlest man on the ground and Gorn is the biggest man on the ground. Um, but Daniel slings him just a little bit. He hits his head and that's where it all starts to go wrong. You know, in Avengers Infinity War, Stay with me. You know in Avengers Infinity War, when they're on Thanos' planet, when they're on Titan, and they've got they've put together this big plan, or like Iron Man and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and all the Guardians of the Galaxy, that they've made up this plan, how they're going to hold him down and pull the, the gauntlet off his hand, right? So they got, everyone's doing their part. Spider-Man's webbing him down, Drax is holding one arm, you got Mantis on his head, you know, putting him to sleep or whatever. And, and that's all going really well. They they execute it perfectly. You know, he's this big, powerful guy. He's been fighting them off, but that they've overcome him, right? They've they've, they've got him, right? They're, they're, they're about to pull his glove off. It's so close. It's right there. And then Chris Pratt comes in and ruins it. He gets in Thanos' face. He's like, where's Gamora? And Thanos is like, you know, in some sort of trance. He's like, oh, Gamora. And we realize, along with Chris Pratt, that Gamora is dead. And he's not very happy about this, Chris Pratt. Um, so unhappy, in fact, that he decides to completely fuck their whole plan and punch Thanos in the face, which knocks Mantis off. Thanos wakes up and then he fucks everybody up. That is exactly like what happened here with Caleb Daniel in Max Gorn. <laughs> Caleb Daniel couldn't help himself. Got a little bit cross, got a little bit cavalier. He's like, oh, Gorny, the big, big tough guy, big captain. 
big charismatic beardy McLoved by everybody. I'm I'm gonna just give you a little little throw, just to roughhouse you a little bit. See how you like that. We're three goals up. What are you gonna do? Oh, what are we gonna do? We're gonna kick sixteen of the next seventeen goals and send you the fuck home, Mister Caleb Daniel. That's what we're gonna do. That was the turning point. So that happens with nine minutes and forty four seconds to go. About 30 seconds later, Fritsch takes that mark and kicks the first of their run of goals. And the next nine minutes of that quarter is a complete demolition. I don't know if it was before, I think it was before this, but after this moment is when it starts to really, really start working. Simon Goodwin moved Luke Jackson into the ruck. Now... He identified what I mentioned just before, that Martin and English were doing a pretty good job on Gorn, right? That, that they had obviously done a lot of work in the two weeks on how to negate his strengths, right? Goodwin came up with a solution. And this is why it is such an advantage to have two genuine Ruckman in your team. It is a really, really big deal to have two guys who can both play Ruck seriously. You can have, you, you know, your backup ruck can be a key forward, but he needs to be able to be a serious ruckman when you need it. Because Simon Goodwin put Luke Jackson into the ruck and he and Petrarca and Oliver together sent the dogs home. It was over. Martin was in there. English was in there. Neither of them knew how to combat um, Jackson's athleticism. He doesn't just tap the ball down or try to tap the ball down. He follows up. He's like a six foot six midfielder. He's so athletic. He's so fast. He runs and chases and tackles and pressures and, you know, harasses. He does everything that Gorn can't do. It, it, it's, he's 100% he is going to win a Brownlow one day. He'll be the next non-midfielder to win a Brownlow. Mark my words. Well, he's technically a midfielder, but you know what I mean. Um, and he completely turned the game. He, he took over in the ruck, which meant that Bontempelli, not Bontempelli, that Petrarca and Oliver were able to do whatever they wanted. Whatever they wanted. And we saw the results on the scoreboard. So Fritsch kicks that set shot goal. Ball goes back to the middle. Tap out, Petrarca kicks the ball inside 50, Fritsch goes for a specky, doesn't get it, lands on his two feet, spins around, kicks a goal, everyone's gone bananas. The whole crowd is going absolutely mental because there's a bit of a Melbourne, you know, the, the crowd was leaning Melbourne's way, it seemed, and they can feel what's happening. When you When you kick a goal against the run of play and then you kick another goal five seconds later, to put you within one goal, stuff's going right, right? The other team's a little bit rattled, right? And the dogs just became more and more rattled as the quarter went on. They were just waiting for three-quarter time. They're like, oh, gee, they're, they're going all right here. We're, we're a bit tired. All right, just get to three-quarter time. Bevo will know what to do. We'll fix it up. But they couldn't wait until three-quarter time because, look, even... 
even with 50 seconds to go. Now, people have spoken about this last 50 seconds, so you know where I'm going. But with 50 seconds to go in the third quarter, Melbourne are only a goal in front. So the dog's like, all right, we're going to go into three-quarter time, just a goal down. It's all going to, oh, they kicked a goal. Okay, so it's just going to be two goals down. It'll be fine. You know, there's only 30 seconds left in the quarter. We just got to hang on. Oh, okay. Oh, all right, they're three goals in front. All right, so there's only 20 seconds left in the quarter. We'll be fine. Just got to, oh, okay, they're four goals in front, and there's still 15 seconds to go. We're so fucked. Right, that, that's what happened. It was so quick. Nobody knew what was going on. The only guys that knew what were going on was Jackson, Oliver, and Petrarca. They're the only ones. No one else in the world, and probably Simon Goodwin, no one else in the world understood what was happening right there. It was so fast and so brutally, ruthlessly terrifying. Everyone was stunned. I was stunned. After they kicked the last goal of that quarter, Melbourne, really, really good work by the camera people and whoever was like directing them to, you know, point at different things. They got footage of the Bulldogs players, the midfielders, Trelaw, Bontempelli, English, right? Heads down, hands on knees. They had no idea what had just happened. And you know what they're thinking? It's what everyone was thinking. Oh, the game's just finished. The game has just, just now, right in front of our eyes, it's just slipped away from them. In the space of 50 seconds, they went from being right there, only six points down, in 50 seconds, they're four goals down. And it's three-quarter time. They haven't kicked a goal in 10 minutes. Melbourne have kicked seven. Oh, dear. I don't think there was anything that Bevo could have said at three-quarter time that would have changed the result. The game was over in that 50-second period. This game had everything you could have wanted from a Melbourne supporter point of view. So they had the great start. They had the little period where they were worried they were going to lose, right? Which is what you want. You don't want to I don't think there's as much satisfaction in completely blowing a team away for four quarters. Like, you know, like I'm talking Richmond 2019, right? Obviously that'd be fun, but it's not as satisfying as winning through a little bit of adversity during the game, you know? So they have that period where the Bulldogs get three goals in front. All the Melbourne people would have been shitting their pants. Like, oh God, this is it. The dogs are going to run away. We're screwed. What do we do? But then they got to enjoy those last 45 minutes. That last 45 minutes will be the best 45 minutes of their lives. They got to enjoy every second of it. And then all the post game, all of last night, all of today, they've they've just been able to soak it all in. But that last 45 minutes was all Melbourne. All of it. And when they kicked the first goal the last quarter, like 30 seconds into the last quarter, that is when the Melbourne fans start to think, gee, is it happening? And then they kick another one a couple of minutes later, six goals the difference, game's done. The game was done at three-quarter time, but now the game's really done. There's no way. 
like Melbourne have just kicked nine unanswered goals in in the space of I don't know twelve or thirteen minutes of game time. The game's over, so the Melbourne fans get to enjoy the rest of the last quarter. Yeah, it, it was a even after oh that was my tummy, even after that point in the third quarter when Melbourne took over, it was still great to watch. So the first two and a half quarters of this game were epic. One of the best games of the year, one of the best grand finals of recent times up to that point. Even after that point, watching Melbourne do what they did was so much fun. It was so much fun to watch. Watching a team play so good. Like, that's the best I've ever seen any team play for, for, you know, a little section of a game, right? Think about the, the, it's a grand final. It's different to a home and away game. You can't do this in a grand final. You're not usually allowed to. And I'm going to get to the disappointment that is the Western Bulldogs in just a second. But you're not usually allowed to do this. In fact, you're never allowed to do this. So the fact that they did this, 100 points to seven in 45 minutes of football in a grand final is... Beyond impressive. I don't know what the word is. The next level up from impressive. But it's that. (laughs) That's what it is. It's truly, truly amazing. Um, Yeah, the the dogs. Gee whiz. It's it's a really super disappointing end to their year. If they had lost, gone out fighting... They could, they could probably live with that. But to just completely disappear once Melbourne got their roll on, it's there's nothing to be proud of there. Um, they, they did all that good work in the second and third quarter to get themselves three goals in front. And then once Melbourne got going, they didn't give so much as a yelp. So that they'll be absolutely gutted that that's how they've ended their year. Um... If they want to be back next year, they're going to have to go through Melbourne again, you would imagine. Um, They, I don't know what they need, the dogs. They're playing almost a fully fit side, um, minus Josh Bruce, and you just swap Shaki out for Bruce. Shaki, I thought, was a bit quiet. I'll get to to him in a second. Um, I don't know what they need. They they might need, you know, maybe Eastern Woods time in their best side is up and they need to go and get a better, not better, he's a very, very good player. He's been a great player for them for a long time. But I don't know, a more reliable or more consistent medium defender because they didn't really have a matchup for Fritch. And him and his World War II haircut just ripped him to pieces. Allowing a medium defender to kick six goals on you in a grand final is something that needs to be seriously looked at. I don't know who was on him for most of the day. I honestly couldn't tell you, but it might have been Williams, um, who's, who's a, who, again, is a perfectly okay player. Um, so that might be someone they need to look at. They're perfectly good in the middle of the ground, perfectly good in the forward line. Um, I'd imagine that Stefan Martin will retire. So do they need to go get themselves another 
another Ruckman? Or are they going to stick with um, Sweet or Lewis? Don't know. Um, what was Lewis's first name? Was it Lewis Young? Anyway, be very interesting to see how the dogs respond to this result. Um, just a couple more things that surprised me. There weren't really any tags. So much talk about what's James Arms going to do? What's Josh Shackey going to do? None of it happened. None of it happened. Harms didn't, not that I noticed, not that was pointed out in the coverage. He didn't really go to anybody. He just sort of did his own thing, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. He didn't go to anybody. Like, Libertore was on the quiet side, but I, I didn't notice a Harms tag. There may have been one. Um... I, I was sort. I didn't. I did. I forgot to look for it when I rewatched this evening. But I didn't notice it. One, if there was one, and Josh Shackey as well. It's. It was really interesting what happened in the Bulldogs forward line because Norton played very well. Um, May was playing sore, so he wasn't amazing. Lever actually didn't do a whole heap. Petty was pretty good, but again, didn't do a whole heap. It's like they didn't need to. Um, the Bulldogs did try to not kick the ball high and long too much. If they did, they went to the goal square, which is the move. Um, but yeah, it was like Shaki didn't have a whole lot to do. Like he had a dozen disposals or so, which isn't too bad for a key forward. But he didn't he didn't hit the scoreboard or he didn't kick any goals. I should say. Um, yeah, he he just didn't. I don't, it was funny, like he didn't need really to play a shutdown role because none of their key defenders were particularly damaging. Lever was the most damaging and he was nowhere near his best. Um, so yeah, it was kind of funny, like Shaki, I saw him playing on all different, you know, on all three of them at different stages. I, th I thought it was really interesting that he wasn't utilised in a, in a hard tag like he was on Aaliyah last week. Um yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And the one other thing that a lot of people have noticed and a lot of people are pretty upset about is that Basil Zemplis forgot that the winning coach needs to give a speech as well. So they're doing all the post-game stuff. Christian Petrarca gets the Norm Smith, gives his speech. Max Gore, well, sorry, um, before that, Bontempelli gave his speech and then Petrarca and then Gorn. And then Basil invited Simon Goodwin up to receive his medal. And then rather than inviting him to say a few words or allowing him to just step up there and say a few words by himself, he just invites Gary Lyon up to present the cup. And when the cup is presented, the speeches are done. When the cup gets presented, they hold it up. All the players come up, they get their photo taken, and then the party starts. But, but normally before, like remember 2016, very, very memorable. Um, Luke Beveridge goes up, gets his medal, gives his speech, and then he calls Bob Murphy up. And then he gives the medal to Bob Murphy. Very memorable. So when Goodwin didn't have a chance to speak, I was like, what's going on? Have I forgotten the order in which things occur? No, I haven't. They, I think Basil fucked it up. <laughs> that was, it was quite amusing either that or it was a pre-organized thing maybe Goodwin had asked not to say any words I don't know why on earth that would be the case 
Um, I think it is much, much, much more likely that Basil just forgot <laughs> how things are running. Um, I do love Basil, though. I really, really like him. Um, and that was it. That was a game. I love seeing all the all the photos and footage of you know the players celebrating post game and going out clubbing post game and you know doing all the stuff today. Um, it's great. It's great. It, it's. I I honestly, when the game was done, I felt kind of hollow. It's it's a really awkward position to be in as a Saints fan. So going into the game, I was barracking for Melbourne. I wanted Melbourne to win. But as the game started, I just subconsciously found myself going for the Bulldogs. I completely flipped. My my true side came out. It was it was, you know, a facade. Me wanting Melbourne to win. It turns out I actually didn't want them to win because now St Kilda is stuck with the longest premiership drought by 30 years. 1966 was the last time Saints won a premiership. The next longest is Carlton, 1995. So, you know, the ball is in St Kilda's court now. If you'll allow me to use a different sports reference. Um, yeah, it was a really, really strange feeling as a Saints fan watching Melbourne do what they did yesterday. I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy for the team. I'm happy for Gary Lyon. I love Gary Lyon. Um, I love to pieces Neil Danaher. Everybody loves Neil. There might not be anyone else who deserves to see Melbourne win a premiership more than that man. Um, it, it, it makes me so happy that he got to see it before his disease gets the best of him. Um, you know, I, th- I thought of Jim Steins. I thought of all those names that Gorn mentioned, you know, Colin Sylvia, Dean Bailey, like, and, and all the Melbourne supporters who have supported for decades, for more than half a century without seeing a premiership. It's a, it's a really long time. I'm almost lucky that I've only, you know, seen 25 years of St Kilda's Premiership drought. There are some people who were alive to see St Kilda's last Premiership, Melbourne's last Premiership, the Bulldogs' last Premiership before 2016, who have had to wait for decades to see another one, wondering if they would see another one in their lifetime. So, so now it's up to St Kilda. St Kilda's next. And I know the next time St Kilda is in a grand final, hopefully it's in the next couple of years, um, that everyone will be behind us, which will be special. Um, it, it, it'll be, whenever it happens, it will be magical to go through what Melbourne have been through, what the Dogs have been through, what Sydney have been through. These clubs that have, like clubs have had droughts. Richmond, Geelong, but Sydney, Dogs, Melbourne, St Kilda, very, very, very long time between drinks. So it, it, it makes me excited to look forward to the day where I get to feel what the Melbourne fans are feeling today. It'll be really great. Um, but yeah, that, that's it. It was a, it was a cracking game. Um, 12 goal margin aside um it was it was an excellent game excellent moments really well played by pretty much everyone involved really well coached 
was a great tactical battle. Um, yeah, and, and now we look ahead to to the trade period, which is only a week away, and to the draft, which will be in November. And then before we know it, the girls' footy will be starting at the start of January, and when that's finished, it'll be time for the boys to start again. So it, it won't be too long before people in Melbourne, at least, are back at the football. Because, you know, by, by the start of next season, you'd imagine we'll be back to normal, as in normal, normal. No masks, many people at your house as you want, all of that. You know, if, if they're saying the lockdown's going to be over at the start of November, you'd think by March we'll be all right. So hopefully we can beat, you know, beat a packed MCG, a packed Marvel for round one. That'll be great. Um, but yeah, like I said before that, we've got the trade period to get to, got the draft to get to. I will do what I've done the last two years. I'll wait for the draft and the trade period to both be over. And then I will go through all the teams and what they have acquired in the trade and draft period to see how they're going to go into next year. And in the next week sometime, I will do a time capsule episode with Kat and we will go back and look at our ladder predictions, our grand final predictions, our Brownlow predictions, all of that, which will be a lot of fun. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this one, guys. Um, Remember to like the podcast, review the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, follow me on Instagram, like my stuff, tell your friends, do all that stuff. I would appreciate the hell out of it. Um, I hope you all had a good grand final weekend. I hope you all enjoyed your earthquake. If you're living in Melbourne, that was fun last week. Um, and I hope you all enjoy the, the AFL off season. All right. Catch you guys later. Bye.